0: Section 11 of The Begum's Fortune by Jules Verne. Translated by W. H. G. Kingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 At Dinner with Dr. Saracen. On the thirteenth of September, although it wanted but a few hours to the time fixed on by Professor Schultz for the destruction of Frankville. Neither the governor nor a single person among the inhabitants dreamed of the danger which threatened them. Seven o'clock in the evening arrived. Half buried in thick masses of oleander and tamarinds, the beautiful city lay at the foot of the Cascade Mountains, its marble keys gently caressed by the waves of the Pacific. The carefully watered roads, freshened by the breeze, presented a cheerful and animated spectacle. The trees which shaded them rustled softly. The velvet lawns were fresh and green. Brilliant beds of flowers exhaled their sweetness around the calm and smiling white houses. The air was warm and balmy, and the sky as blue as the sea, which glittered at the end of the long avenues." A stranger arriving in the town would have been at once struck with the healthful look of the inhabitants, and the activity in the streets. The academies of painting, music, and sculpture, and the library, all in the same quarter, had just been closed. Excellent public courses were given there to small sections, so that each pupil might get the full advantage of the lesson." Among the crowds issuing from these places, and naturally causing some stoppage, not an exclamation of impatience, nor an angry look, was heard or seen. The general aspect was one of calmness and satisfaction. Not in the center of the town, but on the shores of the Pacific, had Dr. Saracen built his house. It had been among the first put up and he had come immediately and established himself there with his wife and daughter, Jeanette. Octavius, the extempore millionaire, had chosen to remain in Paris, but he had no longer Max for a mentor. The two friends had almost lost sight of each other since the time when they lived together in King of Sicily Street. When the doctor emigrated with his wife and daughter to the coast of Oregon, Otto was his own master. He soon neglected college, where his father had wished him to continue his studies, and was in consequence plucked in the final examination when his friend Max came out first. Till then poor Otto, who was incapable of managing for himself, had had Max for a guide. When the young Alsatian left, his companion directly began to see life in Paris. He passed the greater part of his time on the box of a foreign-hand coach, driving perpetually between the Avenue Marigny, where he had rooms and the various race-courses of the suburbs— Otto Saracen, who three months before could barely manage to stick on a horse hired by the hour, had suddenly become deeply versed in the mysteries of Hippology. His erudition was borrowed from an English groom who had entered his service and who ruled him entirely in consequence of the superiority of his special knowledge. Interviews with tailors, saddlers, and bootmakers Occupied the mornings, his evenings were spent at the theatres and in the rooms of a flaming new club, just opened at the corner of Truchet Street, and chosen by Otto, because the people he met there paid to his money a homage which his personal merits had not hitherto received. The company seemed to him highly distinguished. A noticeable thing about it was that the handsomely framed list hanging in the waiting-room bore few but foreign names. Titles abounded, so that you might almost fancy yourself in the antechamber of an heraldic college, but on penetrating farther one might imagine oneself in a living ethnological exhibition. All the big noses and bilious complexions of the two hemispheres seemed to have met together there, Otto Saracen reigned paramount among these worthies. His words were quoted, his cravats copied, his opinions accepted as articles of faith. And intoxicated with this incense of flattery, he never found out that he regularly lost money at play and the races. Perhaps certain members of the club, in their oriental capacity— thought that they had some rights on the biggum's heritage. At any rate, they were able to gradually draw it into their pockets by a slow, though continued, process. In this new life, the ties which bound Otto to Max Brookman were soon loosened. At last, the two chums only exchanged letters at long intervals— What could there be in common between the eager, hard-working man, solely occupied with bringing his intellect to the highest point of culture and strength, and the idle youth, puffed up with his riches, his thoughts only filled with club and stable gossip? We know how Max left Paris, first to keep a watch on Herr Schultz, who had just founded Stallstadt the rival to Frankville, and then actually to enter the service of the King of Steel. For two years Otto led his useless and dissipated life. Then a weariness of these hollow and worthless pleasures seized him, and one fine day, after having wasted some millions of francs, he rejoined his father, thus escaping from moral and physical ruin. At the present time, he was living in the doctor's house in Frankville. His sister Jeanette was now a lovely girl of nineteen, to whose French grace her 4 years' stay in the new country had added all the good American qualities. Her mother said sometimes that before having her so completely to herself, she had never felt the charm of perfect intimacy. As to Madame Saracen, Since the return of her prodigal son, the child of her hopes, she was as completely happy as anyone can be here below, for she associated herself with all the good her husband could and did do with his immense fortune. On the evening of which we have spoken, Dr. Saracen had invited to dinner two of his most intimate friends, Colonel Hendon, an old hero of the War of Secession, who had left an arm at Pittsburgh and an ear at Seven Oaks, but who could hold his own with anyone at a game of chess, and Monsieur Lentz, General Director of Instruction in the new city. The conversation turned on the plans for the administration of the town, the results already obtained in the public establishments of all sorts institutions, hospitals, mutual aid societies. Monsieur Lenz, according to the doctor's program, in which religious teaching was not forgotten, had founded several elementary schools where the cares of the master tended to develop the mind of the child by submitting it to a sort of intellectual gymnastic exercise, adjusted so as to follow the natural bent of its faculties. It was taught to love a science before being crammed with it, avoiding that knowledge which, says Montaigne, floats on the surface of the brain, without penetrating the understanding or rendering its possessor either wiser or better. Later, a well-prepared intellect can of itself choose its path and follow it with profit." The principles of health took a first place in this well-ordered education. Man should have equal command both of his mind and body. If one fails him, he suffers for it, and the mind especially, if unsupported by the body, would soon give way. Frankville had now reached the highest degree of intellectual as well as temporal prosperity— in its congress were collected all the illustrious and learned men of the two worlds. Artists, painters, sculptors, musicians, attracted by the reputation of this city, crowded to it. All the young people of Frankville, who promised some day to illuminate this corner of America, studied under these masters. This new Athens of French origin was on the way to become the first of cities. A good military as well as civil education was given in the colleges. All the young men were taught the use of firearms, as well as the first principles of strategy and tactics. When this became the subject of conversation, Colonel Hendon declared himself delighted with all his recruits. "'They are,' said he, already accustomed to forced marches, fatigue, and all kinds of manly exercises. Our army is composed of citizens, and when the time comes to prove them, they will be found disciplined and trustworthy soldiers. Frankville was on the best terms with all the neighboring states, for she had seized every occasion to oblige them— But ingratitude speaks so loudly when people's own interests are in question that the doctor and his friends resolved not to lose sight of the maxim, heaven helps those who help themselves and to rely on their own exertions. Dinner was over, the dessert was on the table, and according to the usual custom, the ladies had just left the room. Dr. Saracen, Otto, Colonel Hendon, and Monsieur Lentz, continued the conversation, and were attacking the higher questions of political economy when a servant entered and handed the doctor his paper. It was the New York Herald. This respectable journal had always shown itself extremely favorable, first to the Foundation— and then to the development of Frankville, and the principals of the city were accustomed to look in its columns for the possible variations of public opinion with regard to them in the United States. This agglomeration of happy, free, and independent people on their little neutral territory was envied by not a few, and if Frankville had many friends in America to defend her, she also had enemies— who delighted in attacking her. At any rate, the New York Herald was on their side and constantly expressed itself in terms of admiration and esteem. Without interrupting himself in what he was saying, Dr. Saracen opened the paper, mechanically casting his eyes on the first paragraph. Suddenly he stopped, confounded, as he saw the following lines, which he read to himself, and then allowed, to the great surprise and greater indignation of his friends. New York, September 8th. A violent attempt against the rights of men is shortly to take place. We learn from a certain source that formidable preparations are being made at Stallstadt, with the object of attacking and destroying Frankville, the city of French origin, We do not know if the United States can or ought to interfere in the struggle which will set the Latin and Saxon races by the ears, but, in common with all honest men, we denounce this odious abuse of strength. Frankville should not lose an hour in putting herself in a state of defense, etc. End of chapter 11